all the people said, Yee-haw. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with some good old country music, so it just... How is everybody this morning? Well, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. We're going to get there in a few minutes, so just hold your finger there. But I want to talk to you today about a subject that every one of us are interested in. That's success and how to be successful. I know most of you are thinking, what in the world is he going to talk about today? What is this? Is this a seminar of some feel-good opportunity? No, this is right out of the Bible. I've been looking through some magazines and trying to find the answer about how to be successful. I'm a little bit confused. In fact, I don't think those people that have been interviewed even know what they're talking about. They don't know the real meaning to success. But right here we have, in this passage we're about to read, Jesus' idea of what success really is. In other words, getting the right perspective of our lives. So many times we have an idea of what success is. Well, that's having a beautiful home. That's having a nice big house. That's having a new cars and all these things like that. That's not what success is according to the Bible. Success according to the Bible, and this is not my definition, but I'm going to use it. Success is the conclusion that successful living is living to please God, and through that, blessing others along the way. Now, I like that definition. Like I said, I didn't make that up. I wish I had it. I could have told you, but I, I didn't. Success is living to please God, and through that, blessing others along the way. How many of you want to be a blessing to God this morning? How many of you want to bless somebody else along the way? Of course we do. That's what the Bible describes as real, as true success. When you really get through all of life, wouldn't it be great to be able to say, Lord, I tried my best to please you most of the time, and I tried to please, to bless others along the way as I pleased you. Wouldn't that be something great to look back and say that as I've come in contact with people that I've tried to be a blessing in their lives? It may be the, the man out of the street that's pushing the buggy down to the 190. It may be somebody inside this church. It doesn't matter. We ought to make a point to try to bless people as we go through this life. But first of all, the most important thing is that I please God. Because sometimes... And I'm just speaking for Baptists. Sometimes we Baptists don't do the right thing. I know that doesn't happen in this church, but I'm just talking about other Baptist churches. But sometimes we don't really do what we're supposed to do. And we become more of a hindrance than we do a blessing to people. There are some qualities that must be in our lives if we're going to live a life that pleases God and blesses others. The most important quality is the quality of perspective. And that's what we find in this passage we're about to read. This enables us to value what's most important, to have the right priorities, and to share that, what's valuable, with others. Number one, perspective enables us to value what is important. 
And by the way, I've, I've not forgot about reading the passage. We'll get there in just a minute. Hang on. For you that follow Major League Baseball, now, I don't think I have to tell most of you that I love baseball. Have all my life. Still love it. I should have been a professional player, but they didn't see that. But they just made a bad choice. But nonetheless, at the end of the season, which we just finished here just last Wednesday night, as the Houston Astros won the national, uh, won the World Series, but up for grabs every year is what they call the American League pennant and the National League pennant. If you're not familiar with baseball, there's two different leagues, the National League and the American League. I don't know why they have that. That's just the West divided up. But anyway, from those four teams, out of all the teams that play, one one team from each bracket will go to the World Series, which we saw last week. We saw the uh, Houston Astros win the World Series. A few years ago, or some years ago, I should say, the Minnesota Twins won their first American League pennant that they'd ever won. When they came home from Detroit after winning the pennant, Thousands of Minneapolis and St. Paul fans gathered to celebrate with them at the airport, like they do all these teams and so forth. Anyway, one of the players for the Twins at the time was a man named Greg Gagne. He was a shortstop. One of the reporters rushed up to him and said, and I quote, Greg, this has to be the greatest day of your life. And Greg Gagne replied, no, it really isn't. It's a dream come true, and I'm excited about it, but it's certainly not the greatest day of my life. And here's what he said. The greatest day of my life was the day that I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. That young man had his act together. He knew what was important. Yes, I'm sure that winning the World Series was a, 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 a tremendous, but yet it wasn't the most important thing in his life. Greg Gabney was a very good baseball player, obviously playing in the major leagues. But he had perspective enough to know what was really important. Baseball was his vocation, his livelihood. He loved the game. He loved to play the game. He enjoyed being in the spotlight and all the things that go along with that. But it wasn't the most important thing in his life. Most of us don't have that kind of perspective upon life itself, really, if you think about it. I want to show you in the Bible some people whom you have thought about and maybe even thought about their perspective on the, of the most important thing, of their perspective on the most important things in life. But they didn't. And I want to show you someone who you would have thought would never have that perspective on such things, but he did. If you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And I'm going to ask you as we honor the reading of God's Word to stand with me. The story you're probably familiar with, I've heard it at least before. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And the, and the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage we've just read. And Lord, I just pray that you'd give us a true concept of what is going on this morning in this passage, of how this man's life changed so drastically just by a few words. And Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts that we may see ourselves in this passage. But Lord, not only that, but we'd apply this to our lives and take it out of this building this morning when we leave here in a few minutes. Lord, open our hearts to be receptive to you speaking to us. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Perspective is a God-given ability to see the truth and reality, to know what's true, and to know what's real in our lives, to know what's really important, I guess would be a good way to put it. And it's a God-given ability that God offers to everyone who will ask Him. God makes this available to us to get the new perspective on life, if you will. As you walk with Him, as you trust Him, as you depend on Him, as you go to His Word on a regular basis, He will constantly be opening up your perspective on things. He will sharpen your ability to see the truth, to see the real, to know what is not phony, Not sinful, not wrong, not useless, but important. God wants to give you that ability to see it. And he says, I will give you that if you'll trust me. Of all the people that should have had this perspective were the Pharisees. Now, we've talked about the Pharisees before. If you read the New Testament, you've heard about the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees were religious people. They were the religious leaders They had been trained in the Old Testament. They knew a lot about God, a lot about the Old Testament. But here's the kicker. They did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And folks, just because you know who Jesus is, just because you know some stories about Jesus, just because you can tell stories about all the things that go into it, does not make you a Christian. You may know all about Jesus. You may sing the songs that we just sang. Those are Jesus songs. And you may never know who Jesus Christ really is. You see, there's a thing called a personal relationship that God wants with each one of us. Each one of us. And if you don't have that, you don't know who Jesus really is. But let me assure you, today's the day you came for. If you don't know him before we're through this morning, you may get a chance to know him. You will get a chance to know him. Let me say it that way. Of all the people that had the, this perspective were the Pharisees. Now, think about it. These were the religious leaders. To them, it was all about ritual or legalism and going about keeping rules. That was their whole life. Their lives were made up of the rules. All the old things that went in the Old Testament. Go back and read some of them. Go to Leviticus. What a fantastic read that is. Yeah, right. Now, I don't mean that from the perspective of the Bible. I mean that from, it's, it's, it's hard to read it because it's all about these little laws. You've got to do this. You can't do this. You've got to do this on Saturday. You can't do this on Sunday and vice versa. And we still have people today that try to be so legalistic. Well, you've got to do it this way. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says do it my way. That doesn't always translate to you're in my way. They knew a lot about the Old Testament, but they did not have a personal relationship with God. To them, it was all ritual and legalism and going about keeping rules. 
you got to keep this rule. you got to keep that rule. They had no perspective. Listen to this. They had so little perspective that when God came down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and he pitched his tent to live with us for a while, for three years, they didn't even recognize him. They thought he was an imposter and they killed him. Did you catch that? These religious leaders did not recognize who Jesus was, and they put him to death. Now, God turned that thing into a great thing for you and I. But because because he died, we don't have to anymore. We can have eternal life. But the man who had the perspective really was somebody that you wouldn't have thought he had a perspective. Jesus changed his name later to a man named Matthew, but at the time he's called Levi. Levi was a tax collector. Now, that connotation today still puts bad thoughts in our minds, right? We don't like the tax man. Back in this day, he worked for the Roman government. He was a, he was a Jew, but he worked for the Roman government. And they hated tax collectors. And the reason they did, because the tax collectors don't tell our Congress and Senate, because they might try this. But what they did was they had the authority to tax you anything they wanted to. They had that authority. They, he was a tax collector. He had a little booth set up. I, I don't know what he had, a little small building. I, I don't know. But anyway, he, people had to go to him, and he would determine what, how much taxes they paid. You didn't fill out a tax report. You just had to go to the tax collector. He'll tell you, I want 10000 from Robert. I want 20000 from Joe. And you had no choice about it. So the people hated the tax collectors, obviously. I mean, we would probably despise them, too, if it was there. But that's who Matthew was. That's what he did. Because he was a, Roman, a Jewish citizen, he who had committed to serve the Romans, he was also hated by his fellow Jews. I mean, this guy had no friends other than other tax collectors. And that's where the story gets interesting. But he didn't care. You know why he didn't care? His pockets were bulging full of money. His bank account was bulging. His house was big. Money and power and all the things that go along with it was all that he was interested. And he had it. I mean, he was an arrogant young man. He had everything that he needed, his pocket. He had money to go around because he stole it from you and me. And that's exactly what he was. Levi had thought that it was money that was important. He thought power, prestige, place, prominence, position, that's what's important in this life. Doesn't it sound a lot, of, a, lot, a lot like people we know today? Get everything you can. Get as much as you can. You'll need it one of these days. Build yourself a financial security. And I'm not saying we don't need to have financial security if we can. But that's not what it's about, folks. That didn't bring him anything else. No doubt Levi, who came from the tribe of Levi in Israel, grew up as most Jewish boys grew up. He was probably schooled in the Old Testament for many years at the synagogue and by his parents also. And no doubt he knew a lot about God's Word. He knew God's Word. Later, when he, as Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew that we just read out of, he had 99 references in the book of Matthew in these 28 chapters in the Old Test to the Old Testament. That's how much he knew about the Old Testament. He knew it inside and out. 
in his gospel of Matthew, 99 time, 98 times he told something about the Old Testament. He knew it inside and out. But he had probably forgotten, forsaked, forsaken, and removed himself from the truth of the Bible. He had become so arrogant, so rich. I mean, I imagine he had on the Sea of Galilee a, a villa by, by the seashore. I mean, it was a beautiful place. I mean, he was a wealthy, wealthy man. He had run from God's Word and from God's truth and from a relationship with God until a man named Jesus crossed his path. Now, when Jesus crossed his path, Levi had never seen or heard or talked to anyone like Jesus talked. It made a difference in his life. Jesus made his headquarters in Capernaum, as you well know, where Levi was a tax collector. No doubt many times he'd probably heard at least of Jesus, and probably sometimes he heard him as he walked around. I mean, Capernaum wasn't a great large city. And so very good chances he had run across him, heard him teaching, heard him speaking with kids, whatever it may have been. He heard him speak. But this time he knew much about, he knew much about Jesus, but he could not explain Jesus in terms that his human mind could grasp, I guess you'd say, except to say he's from God. So here this tax collector is. He hears Jesus speak, spoke to him himself one day, and he realizes there's something different about this man. What's different about him? So suddenly Levi began to have perspective about the important issues of his life. His money didn't cut it anymore. All he did was one day he was talking to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and says, follow me. Did you catch what the Bible says? And he left all he had and followed Jesus. Now, that's a beautiful story in itself. What is it about Jesus that makes that impact on somebody? What is it about that, that he can move into our lives and all of a sudden everything else all the important things we have go out the day, out the door. All of us have thought this or that was important in our lives. And when we began to ask God, He showed us, started to show us what really matters. If you've been a Christian for many, very many years and you've tried to adapt to the Christian life, you know that God begins to show you things as you go through life. I remember years ago when God showed Judy and I that what really mattered was to follow Him. I did not want to be a preacher. I mean, I had lots of plans in my life. It wasn't part of my plans. But I finally came to the place where I said, God, with all my heart, I want to make you first priority in my life. My wife's second priority in my life, and my family and my kids' third priority. I haven't accomplished that perfectly yet, even today, but I keep trying every day. Though that commitment years ago changed my life. I never dreamed what God was going to do with my life, but He changed it. He changed my want-tos, if you will. It changed my family. It made a great impact because God was constantly telling me that my job, even as a pastor, is not as important as my relationship with Him. That's the most important thing you can have. And if I fail in my personal relationship with God, I will fail as a pastor. 
If I fail in my relationship with my family, everything else is insignificant. No matter what kind of church I'm a part of, if I cannot say, God, here are my kids, here's my wife, and we are going to walk with you, what a difference does that make? We have to see the, with perspective about what really matters in our lives. Years ago, there was a country, this is back in the early 1800s, a country was named Prussia, P-R-U-S-S-I-A. It's not the, it's not the modern-day Russia. But there was a, the leader was Frederick Wilhelm III. He was in trouble. The nation had been through a terrible war, and their country was almost bankrupt. There was no money to feed the people and meet the basic needs of the country. He didn't know what to do. Finally, he came, with a, came up with a solution. He asked the women of Prussia if they would bring their gold and silver jewelry and precious stones and give it to the commonwealth, give them a, to the king, basically, to buy the basic commodities the people needed to rebuild the country. He said, that's crazy. The women responded unbelievably. By the thousands they came, bringing their silver, their gold, their jewelry, and melted it down to be traded for other commodities. In exchange for that jewelry, go look it up in the history books. This is a true story. In exchange for their jewelry, they were given an iron cross. Turn your diamonds in, you get a piece of iron. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? But on that cross was tattooed this, these, these words. This gold traded for iron, 1813. A th strange thing began to happen in Prussia over the next few years. Women quit wearing gold and silver and precious stones. To them, the most beautiful jewelry was an iron cross worn around their necks that said, given for God, gold given for iron, 1813. What made that so special? It's a piece of iron. It wasn't anything valuable. They had made a sacrifice for their country. And it began to change things. It all is a matter of perspective, the way you look at things. What really matters in life. What is valuable is, the, is worth something in our own eyes. The, wor the world says money, possession, prestige, power, all these things we hear about. Get this. Reach this. Get these plateau. Get to this certain kind of bank account. Get this new car you're driving. All these things that we hear about that people need to have in their lives. But God says, no, it's not all that matters. Pleasing me and blessing others is what really matters. And God calls us even to this day to do that. He says, I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you look like. What's important is do you have a personal relationship with me and allow me to change your life to what I want it to be? Perspective enables us to choose the right priorities. One day Jesus came by the booth where Levi was collecting taxes. Now this is what the Scripture says. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now think about that a minute. This man was a rich man. He was very successful. Even though he was unscrupulous, he was still very successful. 
And here he comes up, this, this man named Jesus came by his booth one day, and all he said was, follow me. And immediately, Levi, Matthew, got up and left everything he had to follow Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a picture of every one of us? That one day, you may have been sitting in this room right here. You may have been in a church when you was growing up. I don't know where it was. But somebody was doing a sermon similar to this. And at the end of the service, something was said like, if you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you can know Him today in a real way. And you got up and probably walked down an aisle similar to this and said, yes, I want to know Him. And it changed your life. I've said a hundred times, and I'll continue saying it. If your life has not changed since you became a Christian, something's wrong with your salvation, folks. Because God's in the life-changing business. He don't want you to remain the same 20 years from now. He wants you to change things you're doing in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Levi got up, left everything he had, money, the thing that he was so enthused about. He said, I don't need any more. And he left it all there. What an amazing story if you think about it. Certainly, Levi had already knew who Jesus was. I mean, Capernaum was not that large of a town. I'm sure he heard about him, if nothing else, and probably ran across him someplace as he was teaching in the synagogue, perhaps, or as he was on the street corner, or whatever he may have been doing. He is bound to have seen him or heard about him and heard probably since the message he did. He was already aware of some things going on in his heart. And now Levi's perspective his ability to see who Jesus was, his ability to recognize the importance of Christ enabled him to make a life-changing decision to leave everything he thought was important and follow this man that had nothing except a robe on his back. What causes that? When you meet Jesus, it changes things, folks. It'll make a difference. When Peter, James, John, and Andrew followed Jesus, they were fishermen. They gave up their fishing business. This was their livelihood, their boats, their nets, and they followed Jesus full time. They began to live with him every day. They went with him everywhere. They slept out in the cold. They probably many nights went hungry and all the things that go with that kind of a life. They could have gone back to their fishing business because they were professional fishermen. They knew how to do it if they chose to do so. But when Levi followed Jesus, he couldn't go back to his fishing business because he didn't have a business anymore. He gave it away. He had severed the ties of his past. Let me ask you, have you severed the ties from your past today? Has there come a time in your life when you said, I still hang on to a few things I used to do. I just, I just still enjoy doing them. Maybe that's what's holding you back from being what God wants you to be. When Levi followed Jesus, he couldn't go back. He didn't have a business anymore. He had given it up, and there were people standing in line to take over that tax collector business. He didn't have to worry about filling that position. This was, he was leaving everything kind of decision. It was all linked to not following some principles, not committing himself to some ideals, not getting involved in rule-keeping, 
and religious activity. It was a relationship with this man named Jesus Christ. And when that changed, it all changed for him. That's what it's all about. Follow me. Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, live better, why don't you? Why don't you do right? Jesus didn't say, join that group. Jesus didn't say, follow this ritual. Follow me. I want you to come into relationship with me is what he said. Have you come into a relationship with him? When, do, when, when you do, that means that you have enough perspective to determine your priorities. Following Jesus as your number one priority helps make some hard decisions. I read a story about a man recently who had uh, made some hard decisions about his job because his job was hindering him from meeting the spiritual needs of his family. His job enabled him to meet the physical needs of his family, but it wasn't enough. He wasn't meeting their spiritual needs. He said he had worked for a company for 13 years. Not long ago, he got a promotion, and he had been longing for and planning for and praying for and looking forward to that promotion. But that promotion meant that he had to be gone almost every week, most of the days of the week, every week, all week, all year long. He had also made a commitment after he became a Christian that he was going to put his family first. He was going to meet their spiritual needs first and foremost as the father of the church, which we should do. Uh, father of the house, excuse me. Or let the Lord meet it through him is a better way to put it. He said he became more and more miserable from taking this new job, more and more unhappy and more and more dissatisfied over the weeks that followed because he knew he wasn't meeting the spiritual needs of his family. Sure, he had the money, but he wasn't meeting the spiritual needs. Finally, he had to quit his job, get another job, because he realized what was really important. Years ago, my son, Chad, which is up in Kansas City, I've told you about before, but he was graduating high school, and he was Chad was a good baseball player. He got the talent I never did get, but it, I thought I was, but he, he really was. He was a good baseball player. At the, his high, at the end of his high school career, we sat down, and I remember making a list of schools that had good baseball programs, which I was aware of quite a few of them, and just to, okay, let's go visit these schools, which I want to go to and so forth, and just see what the chance of you playing baseball is. And we got to go to several schools, and it just, the coaches, boy, they welcomed him in, so he was a catcher, and just, that's a good position, by the way. But it, uh, he, 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 was, uh, he was a catcher and, and had made all district, and I'm, I'm not sure what all, but, you know, several claims for it. But anyway, I remember not too long ago, he wound up going to uh, Southeastern Oklahoma State University, and he had an opportunity to play baseball. But he ran into something that they called the Baptist Student Ministry, and it sidetracked him. I remember one night he called me, and he says, Dad, I think God's calling me to do something special, some kind of special service. What do you think? I remember thinking, don't do it. Go play baseball. I'm going to get to live my dream out through you. I, mean, I, I was thinking, you've got to talk about this. He's got an opportunity to do this. But then he said, 
I talked to the baseball coach, and I might could be a part of the team. But the coach said he wants his players to eat, drink, and sleep baseball. Then he said, Dad, baseball is not the most important thing in my life. Jesus Christ is. Then he added this. When compared, when I compared baseball with Jesus Christ, it wasn't even a decision for me. I couldn't help but think, had that been me when I was in high school, what would my choice have been? And I guarantee you what it would have been. Oh, I might have been able to succeed in baseball to some degree. But look at what I missed for doing it. He had the right perspective. What was right for him? By the way, he's now at a church in Kansas City, a big, large church, and has a youth group that runs about 300 every week. And just a, a God's blessing for him, trying to say. But I'm, I'm telling you, if that had been me, I probably wouldn't have made that decision. I probably wouldn't have done what he did. Perspective enables us to share what is valuable with others. As soon as Matthew met Jesus, he had to share his good news with others. Listen to what the Scripture says in Luke 5.20. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. He wanted his friends to meet Jesus. Does that sound like something we ought to be doing? Levi, Matthew, wanted his friends to meet Jesus. So immediately Jesus was a guest of honor at this banquet he was throwing, party he was throwing. Levi invited all of his friends. The only people who were friends of his were tax collectors, remember? He didn't, I mean, other people didn't want anything to do with him because he was a thief. He stole from them. He committed his life, his, his commitment to Jesus became special. Someone said, a truly converted person will not go to heaven alone. Think about those words. I don't know who said that. I just saw it the other day, and I liked it. A truly converted person will not be able to go to heaven alone because we love our family, our friends too much to let them die and go to hell. But yet it seems like nowadays we're not that concerned about things. If you really know Christ and He's important in your life, then it's going to make a difference in your life. I get to call many of our visitors that visit with us and maybe get to talk to them or at least send a letter each week. And I enjoy calling and talk to them and tell them about our church. And Yeah, I may brag a little too much on y'all. It's probably not worth bragging. We won't go there. But, <laughs> but it's, I, mean, I enjoy telling people about our church. We're not a large church. We're not a wealthy church. But I believe with all of my being that our people in this church want to do what God wants us to do. That part I believe without a shadow of doubt. In fact, I'll be honest with you. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here. I would have left a long time ago. But I believe that we have a desire to please God. And we have a desire to bless others through His blessing to us. Through our visitation and outreach, we found out that most of the time... When someone visits us for the first time, it's usually because they came in contact with somebody that went here or they knew from there, whatever it was, and they invited somebody to church. That's how most churches grow. 
We'd have visitors here today, first-time visitor with us. And I would safely say that, and I do not know this, but probably, well, I know one of them, she's sitting there beside her, <laughs> that brought her this morning. That's what it's about, telling your friends about Jesus. I think we've got a great church. Rocky thinks we've got a great pastor. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but it's, you know, God brings us together to be family. Yet even then, each one of us have family members. Probably if you were to answer the question in your mind right now, you've got family members that you know, if something happened, they were to die today, they'd split hell wide open. That's family members. We say we love our family. Some families are a little harder to love than others, but they, we still love them. But yet, at the same time, what are we doing? It's always been the answer to bring people to Christ. It's one beggar sharing another beggar where he found bread. That's what it's all about. It's not the preacher who draws the people. It's the each of you that draw more than I can. I can go out and I make and talk to 20 people in a week's time. But you can talk to 20 every day of the week. And what a difference it makes. That's what John Wanamaker did as we close this out here this minute. He made quite an impression on people in the city of Philadelphia some years ago. He was a multimillionaire. He owned a huge department store in that city. At one time, he was the postmaster general of the United States. But he also did something else. He started a Sunday school class for poor kids in a rough section of town. At one point, he got to running 4,000 kids a week in his Sunday school class. He didn't have to do that. He had more money than most of us have ever seen in our lifetime. Why did he do that? And he said, somebody asked him, he said, Wanamaker, how do you do all these things? You run that business. You do all those other things. And then you have that Sunday school class for all those kids. How do you do it? How do you take care of all that business? And here's what he said. My real business is that Sunday school class. I learned a long time ago to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. This man had perspective. Perspective enables us to value what's important. Let me ask you this morning as we close out. What's important to you, really? What motivates you? Is it making that money, getting that bank account built up real good? I mean, I'm getting at retirement age. I think I shared it with you, but I sat down one time not long ago and figured out that I can retire at 108. So just uh, so you are stuck with me for a few more years. But anyway, Jesus overhearing them. Uh, let me back up a minute. Luke chapter 5, verse 30. The Pharisees ask, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, overhearing them, said in Luke 5:32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I don't know about you, but you're looking at a man that all he is is a sinner saved by grace. That's all I am, all I'll ever be. 
I still make mistakes every day of the week. My mouth still gets me in trouble quite a few times, especially with my wife. But do you know who Jesus is really? Are you willing to pick up and follow him? Think about the difference if we had a John Wanamaker in our church. 4,000 kids in church every week, Sunday school. See what God can do when we sell out for Him. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank You, Lord, for this day You've given us. We come to close the service. We just ask that You'd open our hearts and our minds up, that, Lord, we may see ourselves the way You see us. Lord, what is motivating us? Is it to have nice things in life? Lord, I don't think there's anything wrong with having nice things, but as long as we keep our priorities straight, what's really important? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity this morning that each one of us here have. And, Lord, there may be somebody here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior in their life. What a great day this is. The Old Testament says that today is the day of salvation. There may be somebody here today that's a member of a church and just have not been going for the last years, perhaps. And, Lord, they just want to reignite that fire that used to burn inside of them. There may be some here today that just says, I need to bow at these steps and just pray and say, God, I've drifted away from you, but I want to come back. I want you to be the priority in my life, whatever it is. We're not going to tarry along this morning. I don't believe that's necessary. But if you have a decision to make, maybe it's just in prayer. I'm going to invite you down these steps just to have prayer. Our deacons are on the side of the building. They'll be glad to pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you. Whatever the need is. But don't leave this building without Jesus. That can be a very costly decision. You don't know if you'll be able to be back here next week. Only God knows that. Don't make a decision of the eternity theater. Go with us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.